So the devil, being very devilish, very um, smart and cunning, said, I am going to take advantage of the fact that everybody understands the Messiah is coming from the top of the temple. And so said to Jesus, won't you throw yourself from the top of the temple? It'll sure save you a lot of trouble. And uh, it'll complete, it'll fulfill your purpose, which is to let people know that you're the Messiah. I'm trying to help you here. That's what Satan's trying to say. Yes. We have another one? Yeah, oh, that's amazing. This for audio verse. I'm, I'm glad I, I brought my heavy-duty tie. This is for audio verse. Could you please repeat your name and then... You're yeah. Are you recording it already? Yeah. Adrian brought it to me. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Ah. Never thought I would thank somebody for not miking me. But uh, that's good. We already have it. Um, the temptation was to presume on what God had said, how he had laid things out. The devil made it very hard when he quoted scripture, Psalm, a text that says, you know, your angels are going to take care of you when you fall. The problem was that was out of context. So the short answer to that is this. There can be a fine line between faith and presumption. The difference is this. Faith is always based on something already written. Faith is always based on something God had already made clear. So if God has some, made something very clear, it is not presumption, presumptive of you to trust that. Now that's the context. Jesus looked at the context. The context is not, you know, just go fly off some, some uh, you know, top of, of buildings out there and the angels are going to take care of you. That's not the context. The context is when you have an accident, when you, when you fall, angels will take care of you, that kind of a thing. So um, this is, faith is based on, on something that is clearly written. Presumption is based on something you want. And that's the major difference. We, uh, many times, what, what the difference, uh, the, the way we really could find the difference is looking into your own heart. It says, do I really want this? Am I would, would I be just as willing to accept this from God as I would be willing to accept the exact opposite? If I am willing to accept the exact opposite, I am going to be less likely to be presumptions about what, what's going to happen. Because my will is not in, 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 in the thing. I am really leaving this in God's hands. Um, I learned that I learned that very clearly a number of years ago when there was a case of, uh, of healing a, a young uh, nurse uh, I was a pastor in uh, north northern part of Sacramento at that time there was a nurse in Weimar and the number of people that came from Weimar uh, came to our church it's just a very energetic, healthy woman who got very, very sick. Uh, strange disease. Anyway, I, I won't tell you the whole story, but um, she went through quite a process of spiritual renewal. It was really a major rebirth in her own life. 
as she thought she would die. We had uh, anointing for her, a number of us. We spent a couple hours singing and telling stories about what God can do and sharing uh, references to that. Uh, at the end, we prayed earnestly. There was a, you could, you could almost feel the presence of God. You could almost touch the presence of the angels out there. It was so tangible, so real. And so I, I asked her, as soon as we got, off, we got off the floor, I asked her, how do you feel? And she gave me a very, very important answer that I think is really relevant to our Christian life. She said, oh, pastor, she was so happy. She was just beaming. There was a light that came right through her. And she says, I don't care whether I live or die. Whatever God wants, I want it just as bad to die as I want to live. Now that is significant because I've done a lot of anointings and type, you know, and most people don't say, I, it doesn't matter to me either whether I live or die. Or, you know, they mostly say, well, okay, if God doesn't want me to live, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. But they're not eager for it. Hmm? They would rather live than die. But not when you have no will of your own. When, when you really are totally in God's will, it is exactly the same thing for that person. And so sometimes we can differentiate with the difference between presumption and faith by looking inside and saying, what, where, where do I lean? What, what do I really, really, really want? Am I willing to give that, which is very good, up if God wants me to give it up? There are a few... Are you saving those... If, if you're next to a chair that is empty, raise your hand. And uh, there are a few chairs out here, so come and get, uh, find people that have their hands up. Yep. Thank you. I do. It's right here. Great. Thank you, guys. Tell you what, one thing I need to do is... Um, We need to, I need to put it there. Oh, yeah, I, yeah I'm not going to do it from here because I need to have some room. Anyway, somebody else wants to ask another question? Well, I know this is, a fa this is, a, 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 is a greatly entertaining, but um, let's, uh, if you have another question, let's try to deal with that while we set up. Anybody else? This is a very knowledgeable crowd. <laughs> very impressed. Okay, thank you. Or when you meditate? Okay, I think the question is uh, when, you are when you are practicing your devotional life like in the morning in reading, what, uh, where do you go to the Bible? Are you asking, you know, what, uh, 
what uh, recommendation there would be as to where to start studying? Okay, good question. Um, any, anything from scripture is worthwhile. However, uh, the, there is a variety. The scripture is like food. Some food is heavier and it takes more to digest and you need it accompanied with other stuff. Some food is very light and it's very quick to, to process, all right? You need to know where you are. And sometimes if you read uh, Ezekiel, it might be a little too heavy and you might want to go to the book of Acts. Or sometimes if you're trying to process Amos or Haggai or, or the book of Hebrews, you might want to say, well, I'm not sure I'm quite ready for that to get to, for me to get the most out of that. And so you might want to go to, to the book of John or to the Psalms. Um, in general, if you want to start over or if you want to start from a beginning, and I don't, I don't presume that most of you are in that, in that place, um, I, I recommend when I do evangelism and so forth, I recommend people to begin with, with one of the Gospels, uh, John, or with, um, with a psalm. And often I recommend to do both, one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament. It, it, the psalms are a wonderful, wonderful reading material because the psalms are such variety. And it deals with such... Um, it, it, it deals with life at the, at the feeling level. It's, it's very interesting, okay? Uh, and it is really worthwhile for meditation. So, um, that would be one, one place to... Or in the Old Testament, I tell you, one of the best things that will provide a great deal of instruction and it's also not difficult to process is the book of Genesis. You know, if you only had the book of Genesis as the people of Israel did for 40 years. If you only had the book of Genesis and the book of Job, you have everything you need to understand who God is and to understand who you are in that relationship. All of the major storylines, all of the major concepts to understand what Christianity, what following God is about, what the, the trouble with sin, all of those issues, the issues of salvation, all of that is in the book of Genesis. God, the people of Israel had Genesis and Job. That's all they had. And that's all they needed to begin with. Um, another one is uh, if, you want, if you're like history, I, I like that. I, I enjoy a great deal. Uh, 1 Samuel, for instance, or 2 Samuel. You know, you read, you read uh, look at the, uh, for instance, as some of the concepts... Um, I ask this question, why does inspiration uh, have so much to say about certain individuals? Moses, David, Paul, and Jesus. Why? So read that way. Read a person through. David, for instance, is a plethora of, of learning about life and about... And then you get everything with him. You, you got... You got nearly two entire books that deal with David alone. Plus, half of the book of Psalms is all David's writings. Okay? And uh, so, 
in the book of, you know, Paul. Paul, that's half of the New Testament is written by Paul. Half of the book of Acts is, is the life of Paul. Why? Why would the Holy Spirit choose to do that? Because the Holy Spirit says, this is from whom you can learn the most. A whole picture is there. So, that, those are a couple suggestions. Okay, uh, let me see if we can get this clicker, because now we got some room back here. I had a song I wanted to, I wanted us to sing. See if we can do that. Let's see if this works. You know, last time I tried this while it was all up already, and it uh, acted up on me. All right, so for those of you who came a little later, we're going to cover a different thing today. We're going to cover the uh, how to know God's will in your life. Based on the kinds of questions and conversations I've had with people yesterday, I thought this is, this is a, something that I have not developed for this seminar. Um, I do that sometimes in evangelism. And uh, so I got up early this morning and edited it uh, the best I could to deal with this. But let's sing a song. How about it? Huh? This is a great place to sing a song. We have good acoustics and it's twice as big. So let's really bring the house down. How, shall we? The Lord is my light, then why should I fear? By day and by night, His presence is near. His is my salvation from sorrow and sin. This blessed persuasion the Spirit brings in. The Lord is my light, my joy and my song. By day and by night he leads me along the Lord is my light my joy and my song by day and by night he leads me along we're gonna raise it up just a little bit all right the Lord is my light, the Lord is my strength. I know in His might I'll conquer at length. My weakness in mercy He covers with power. And walking by faith He upholds me each hour. The Lord is my light, my joy and my song. By day and by night He leads me along. The Lord is my light, my joy and my song. By day and by night He leads me along. The Lord is my light, my joy and my song. Here day and by night He leads me along. The Lord is my light, my joy and my song. By day and by night He leads me along. Praise God. You know what? About 400 more angels just came through that door because the Bible says that the angels rejoice to be in the presence of those who praise God. 
So we just got a few more. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege you give us to study together the Word of God and to, and to search for relevance in our lives as we seek to understand your will. Please, Lord, be with us today. You know exactly what we need to hear. You know, you know how to put these pieces together in our lives. You know what, what buttons to push so that we, we may open our hearts and our minds to your understanding. So bless us according to our need and according to your loving kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How to know God's will in your life. All right. <clears throat> Let me begin by... You're going to want to take notes on this one. And I'm going to give you seven steps for this. There's going to be a lot of scripture, um, but most of it is on the, on the uh, screen. And uh, very few stories, to be honest, because we won't have time for that. There is going to be quite a, you know, some of those stories will come around in the next session. Hebrews 10, interesting text. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is great reward for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What does that imply? So if you practice some of what we learned yesterday, if you meditate on this thing, you've got to ask questions of it, right? So what does that mean? When you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So the implication is that whatever was promised to us many times may not come until you do what? The will of God. So the will of God is a precedent. Many times we complain to God, right? And we, we moan and groan. He says, you know, what I really need is not coming through. And God promised that. Well, it just may be that we have not done this part. When you have done the will of God, then you may receive what was promised. But the problem is, in that case, we may not know what the will of God is. And that is a big question. What is the will of God for me in this situation? Do we really know to, need to know God's will? Here's Proverbs 14, 12. This is a very important text, especially if there's anyone in this room or anyone hearing in the tape that you, really, you know your borderline. Right now you're walking not as the Lord wants you to walk. Listen to this text carefully. The Spirit of God is trying to appeal to you. He says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, that is, a, that is a very stark statement, very tragic statement. In other words, it doesn't say that, it doesn't talk about when what we already know is going to lead us to death. It talks about what we think is right that will lead us to death. What does that mean then? Again, the why question, why is it saying that? What does that mean? What are the implications of that statement? Well, one of them is, we can very easily be fooled. Because we may think that things are just dandy and they're a disaster. They're going to lead us to death. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a friend or a family member that is really, really blowing it, is really, really making some terrible mistakes and you're trying to warn them about it and all they, all they do is say, there's no problem with this. What's the problem? It breaks your heart, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe... You have gone through some of that. And people have said, and you know, all, pe all people want is just harass me. 
Well, if more than one person is saying something to you, you probably ought to pay atten attention. There's something there that, that you're not noticing because of this principle, because our, our sinful nature is such that we are blind many times to what really is going on. We really are blind. Do we need to know God's will? Look at James 4. Uh, interesting um, quote here. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. We have plans. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor. Boy, God makes it clear. You're not that, you know, hot. You're a vapor. You're not even tangible. You know, I can go put my hand right through you. You're a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You're not that solid. <laughs> you know, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. In other words, we may make all these plans. We may think that everything is going to be fine if we, just, if we just figure this out on our own. But the truth of the matter is that there's all kinds of surprises that only God really knows. And it, is, it behooves us. It's best to us for us to always put our hands, our, our lives in His hands. Well, you don't know. You don't know whether you'll make it home after GYC. You don't even know whether you'll come back tomorrow. I don't know. So, it's important to say, God, I really want my life to be in your hands. Because you know, and I don't. So, do we need to go know God's will? James 1.5 is a very encouraging thing. Go back to this one, time again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to them. Now, this is beautiful. Think about it. Like with Scripture, you've got to think about what, what does it say? If any of you lacks wisdom, does that, is, that, is that common among us? Amen. Oh yeah, we lack wisdom. I lack wisdom. And I, I know a lot. And I lack wisdom. And to be honest with you, <laughs> I've been saying to my wife, last, just last week, we were in Florida two weeks ago, and I said, you know, honey, we're walking on the beach. I said, the truth of the matter is that the more, the older I get, the less I know. And that's true. That's a scary thought for young people. I said, boy, ooh, that doesn't sound too good. <laughs> um, but there's a, a, you know, some of you who are middle-aged, you can understand what I'm saying. Um, you, you, you think, you know, when you're 25, you've got, you got a lot of things figured out. When you're 20, you've got even more things figured out. And, uh, and, and you say, yeah, I know. I know what, you know, it's the James 4 thing. You know, I know what I'm planning to do. I know how, how this works. The truth is, obviously, you keep learning. And you're going to learn a lot more when you're 50 than when you're 25. But you're also going to know that there's a lot that you don't know. And there's a lot that you thought you knew that doesn't really work the way you thought. Hmm? It's a very humbling thing. And I believe that's one of the reasons why God allows most of us to live 80 years old. Because it takes us that long to figure out that we really need to depend on God, and we can't really run this on our own. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But this is beautiful. Think about these two points. He gives to all generously. God is not a penny pincher. He's not, he is, you really, uh, you're asking too much. That's not God. God doesn't say, 
well, didn't you ask me that yesterday? I, you know, I'm still working on that, huh? <laughs> no. God says, bring it on. I am so glad you're asking me because I wish more people would ask me for more because that, that belies trust in God and that's what makes him happy. You want to make God happy? That's it. I have a title of one. You know, I got about eight books in my, my computer that are yet to be written. <laughs> but one of them is how to make God's happy, God happy. That's the title of one book, how to make God happy. The Bible makes it clear in Hebrews 11. Faith is what pleases God. So whenever we trust God, it makes Him happy. So whenever you demand more on Him and say, God, this is what I need. God, this is what I really need from you. Would you please help me with that? God says, yes, keep asking. Yeah, yeah, sure. God gives to everyone generously more than you could ever Hope, just keep asking. The more you ask, the more he'll give you. And then it says, and without reproach. That's a good thing because, you know, I've admitted, uh, sometimes I have, you know, people ask me, but I kind of, uh, well, you know what, uh, if you had done this and done that, um, you wouldn't need to have this now. That's reproach. That's not what God says. He doesn't, he doesn't come back and you say, make you feel bad because you're asking him for anything. He, he just holds that back. You know, that's a, he suspends that judgment and he says, sure. That's what the Bible says. Count on it. This is more real. What you see here is more real than the fact that you're sitting in that chair. And if you don't know it, look it up in 2 Peter chapter 1 when Peter talks about the Word of God. And it says there in verse 19, we have a word that is more sure more sure that we would do well to pay attention to. And it's a reference to the Word of God because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, etc. And when you've you got to ask that question, it says when, when Peter says, more sure, more sure than what, Peter? That's what you do. You reflect with the Scriptures, right? More sure than something. That's a superlative. More sure than. It's a, it's a comparative statement. huh? So you got to find what he means by more sure. More sure than what? Obviously, he's thinking something else. Well, go back to verse 16. Verse 16 says, We have not followed cleverly devised tales when we have, known, we have made known to you the majesty of our Lord. And then the next two verses, he tells the story of the transfiguration where they saw the majesty of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus come through. Remember? Peter, James, and John saw, John saw that. And... Also, when they heard the voice of God, they said, man, we saw that with our own eyes. He says that in verse 16. In verse 18, he says, we heard that. We heard the voice with our own ears. Talk about something tangible, concrete. Think about it, guys. Think about if God were to talk to us from the ceiling and we all knew it was God in a very clear voice, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? It would really, if you're sleepy right now, it would really wake you up. And it would be the first thing you're going you're gonna to get on the phone and tell your friends about. And it will be something that 20 years from now you would not forget. You will remember exactly what happened, right? Well, that was Peter. Peter saw the divinity, Christ divine come through, the divinity of Christ. And he heard a voice of God, right? And then he says, verse 19, 
But we have a word of God that is made more sure. More sure than what, Peter? More sure than what our eyes can see and our ears can hear. That's why I'm telling you what you read here is more tangible, more concrete than the fact that you're sitting in your chair today. It is, it is a dimension that is more real. If you will it so, that's what the Bible says. That is reality. So, this is what God says. This is the confidence when we ask Him something. This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, that's the key, anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that we, he, he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Whoa, it's a clear statement. This is amazing. You know, this is amazing. How is it that we live such puny lives when, when we have these statements in Scripture? And I'm, I'm including myself in that. It's, it's amazing. It, God basically... This is, we, 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 there's two dimensions. The dimension of a human reality, which is full of, you know, the, it's a human nature. It's a natural, you, you, you don't opt to have sin in your life. You already have it. You are sinful even if you do everything right. That's one dimension. And that really is extremely powerful. No wonder Jesus says, well, you must be born again. If you don't have any other nature, this will kill you. This will kill you. If the other nature allows you to at least fight, the spiritual nature at least allows you to fight. That's the other nature. But that has to do everything to do with trusting God. That is the uniqueness of the Christian faith. The uniqueness of Christian faith is not like the Hindus. The Hindus do votives in, in offerings and they follow certain gods. The, the Buddhists do other things. They, they, they have the karma. They do certain things in order to have a better life when they are reincarnated. The Muslims are so legalistic, it just, it's, it's painful to watch. The, the, the Jews are, the Orthodox Jews are also that way. But the Christians, the true Christians... And they're a very small minority, including Adventists, are people that live by faith. In other words, these are people that have chosen to believe in a bunch of words, and that those words, they have chosen to believe that those words are concrete reality. That's why the righteous lives by his what? Faith. God made that very clear. That's why the Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed those things in 1517, it was so revolutionary because it was trying to raise that second, that second option that had been gone for 1,300 years. It, it was, it was a st that's why Paul would go to a place, you know, I've been to Ephesus. Ephesus was a a, a um, uh, multi-pagan city. Every family had a different God. And they were steep into you know, stuff you don't want to even think about. 
And this guy alone, he goes alone there and revolutionizes the whole thing, the entire city. And Ephesus becomes one of the most clear Christian centers in a matter of two years. Why? Because this man says, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to trust God with everything. And this is what he says, and this is what he means. And people are starting to buy into that, and, and their whole lives begin to change. It's an amazing thing to trust God, to really trust God, to trust what He says. That's the key. All right, so how does God deal with our questions? In case you are saying, well, God is going to be bothered with it. Well, here's an example, a couple of examples. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Remember the rich young ruler? That's in Luke 18. Did Jesus say, hey, don't bother me with questions, I'm too busy. No, he answered that question, right? He says, sell what you have and get to the poor and follow me. In other words, the answer to the question was exactly what that rich young ruler needed to hear. He didn't want to hear it. And that's the problem with us. And this is why I'm giving you two examples. One of the negative, the other one the positive. In other words, what did he choose to do? He walked away sad, the Bible says, because what? Because he had many possessions. He, he didn't want to do what Jesus... I mean, he asked the question, right? How can I inherit? I mean, he was, he, he was not a legalistic Jew. He didn't say, how can I earn eternal life? He says, how can I inherit eternal life? In other words, he knew this was inherited, but there was something missing in his life. There was a void in his life. And he says, what can I do about that? This is not working for me. And Jesus gave him just the answer. He says, if you sell everything... You see, the reason it's not working is because you have, you, 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 you have a foot on, the, on, on, a, on a boat and a foot on the shore. And it makes you very unstable. And one day, you're going to fall flat. You know something is not right about this because you're still worried about the things that you have. Let them go. That is going to allow you to really focus on God and you'll see how free you really are. He gave him the answer. But he says, so oh, I can't handle that answer. So he walked away, miserable. Another guy asked the question, what must I do to be saved? A basic question. Remember the Philippian jailer? And the answer was given to him by Paul, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And he did that. And he was saved, not only he, but he and his household. He chose to believe. Now, this is a pagan, this is a Philippian, that's a Roman colony. This is a Philippian guy who has no clue about God, except for what Paul shared with him, well, you know, after the earthquake. He chose to hang on to that, says, okay, I'm choosing to believe what you have said. And that freed him. That freed him. So God always answers our heartfelt questions. Really count on that. God always answers your heartfelt questions. And if they're not coming through, if the answer is not coming through, don't think it's because God is not trying to answer. There's some other impediment. But God is trying to answer. Count on it. Say that to yourself. As Ellen White has said one time, talk faith until you have faith. Fake it till you make it. In other words, in, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying that little tongue-in-cheek, but there is a lot of truth about that if you're going in the right direction. Because many times we live our lives by feeling and not by faith. And so if we don't feel like we're trusting God, then we're not trusting God. Huh? Yeah. That's not the life of a Christian. Right. 
The life of a Christian is regardless of how you feel. It is exactly that the reason you will have power. Is that you choose to hang on to what God says regardless of, of the surroundings. All right. So, the overarching principle, and then I'll give you these seven steps. The overarching principle in knowing God's will in your life. The overarching principle is this. And if you follow this one principle, to be honest with you, you can take an act right after that and forget the seven steps. <laughs> Not that I'm encouraging you. But. The overarching principle is this. John 7, 17. If anyone is willing to do my will, they will know. Bingo. End of discussion. The whole thing is in the heart. Are you willing? Am I willing to do His will? That means, am I willing to accept what I don't like? Am I willing to do what I don't want to be told to do? Am I willing to change where I don't, where I fear to change? You know, when I was a younger person, and I, I considered um, further surrendering my life to God, one of the things that I, I I'll be honest with you, this, this, I'm not proud of this, I, I, I figured that if I gave my life completely to God, He would make me like such and so or like such and so. But I didn't really want to be like such and so and such and so. And so, or He would make me give up this or that. And, you know, I, now that I know better, I can imagine God standing back saying, Hey, uh, why do you presume to read my thoughts? How, how, how would you know what will happen when I change your heart? Well, God knows our frame, the Bible says, so He knows exactly how fast we should go, how slow we should go, what, what would happen in our lives. We need to really trust Him. And that's what will make a difference. And, and, and chances are we will not become like this person or like that person. And chances are that the thing we fear to give up is not going to be that hard to give up after all. And or chances are that what we fear to give up, all of a sudden we, say, we can't give it up fast enough. Say, oh yeah, you can have it. If, 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 if we choose to trust Him. If anyone is willing to do... So before, here's the principle, before I can get to know God's will for my life, I need to step out and say, I'm willing to do your, do your will. What do we tend to do? We tend to say, God, show me your will, and then I'll consider doing it. Right? That's a very human way to do that. God says, no, tell me, determine in your heart, you will do my will, and then I'll show you my will. Because that's the key. When you surrender, when you surrender, you have, you have the victory already. God will not force you to surrender. He just invites you to do so. Okay, so step number one, surrender your entire will to God. Surrender your entire will to God. And the picture really shows our Savior Himself who had to do that. Even our Savior Himself had to do that. At the, at the Garden of Gethsemane, even he, Jesus, pure, uh, holy, and undefiled, somebody who didn't have any tendencies to go against God or to do his own will, he surrendered. Let this cup pass from me. I don't really want to do this. Is there any other way? But he surrendered. But if there is no other way, Jesus said to his Father, 
Let it be this way. I'll surrender. I'll just surrender. I don't see how this is going to work out right now, but I'll surrender it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So before you can know, you must have the fear of the Lord. In other words, you must surrender, respect what He is like. And that will bring understanding. Hmm? That will set the, 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 the place for you to have understanding. Uh, John 5.30, we talked about this yesterday. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, Jesus said. I don't seek my will. But the will of the Father which has sent me. That's why things work out. Because I'm not doing my will. I, I choose not to judge. I choose not to make decisions except for what my Father points out to me. Matthew 26, you've saw, I made a reference. This is the story of Gethsemane. You can read that. Write it down read it sometime. You know, about, about the struggle in Gethsemane. Surrender your entire will to God. If you have, think about it. They, um, George Mueller, I, I introduced him to you yesterday. You know, that's a guy with a funny hairdo. Um, in that great man of prayer and faith, he talked about this at one point also, and he says, if you have, everything, everything will start working when you have no will of your own on the matter. That's how he put it. Everything will start working when you have no will of your own on the matter. In other words, when you've surrendered it, and, and, and you're no longer longing for this or that, or you know, or wanting God to, you know, push God this way or that way. Number two, believe God's will for you is always best. This is very important. Very, very important. You've got to choose to believe that God wants the best for you. He is not a hard taskmaster. He is not a, a mean God. He is not one that needs to get his kicks by making you suffer. That's not God. That's the devil. God loves you with an everlasting love. God gives Himself for you. God longs for you. God is a, a loving, 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 tender Father. So choose to believe that whatever He has in mind for you is just going to be the best thing in the world. Don't choose to believe that after you discover that. Choose to believe that ahead of time. Say, God, whatever you want to give me, it has got to be the best. And so when, when certain things are happening in your life, and you say, well, this must be God's will, and, and you don't feel like this is good, then switch it in your mind and say, God, I want to thank you for this. No wonder the New Testament says in several places, Paul and others, says in everything, give thanks. Oh, why would you give thanks in everything when tragedies take place, when you get disease, when you, when you lost to, you know, you don't, you, 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 that uh, scholarship doesn't come through, you can't go to school? What do you mean? Give thanks for everything. That's what it means to be a Christian. You no longer live by feeling. Because you don't feel very thankful when things don't work out the way you want it to work. It is when you live by faith that you really are a Christian and that when it makes a difference. And so when you're looking at tragedy or misery or you know, discomfort in the face, when you're looking at it in the face, say, Jesus, thank you for that. 
boy, sure doesn't feel, you know, you can, you can whisper to him and say, you know, it doesn't, I don't really feel thankful right now, but thank you for this. And just say it until you start believing that. I want to thank you for what's happening to me. It's really miserable, but I want to thank you for this. And you know what? Soon you're going to say, hey, you know, God is working things out. And you'll see that that, that negative thing is exactly what you needed. Oh, he might not tell that to you three hours later after you thank God. He might not tell it to you three weeks later. He might not tell it to you until 30 years later or until Jesus comes. But you're a Christian and Christians live by what? Faith. faith. By faith on what is written. Not by feeling. So believe God's will is always the best for you. So approach this whole thing saying, whatever you have in mind is going to be great. It's going to be good for me. And I, so that's why I want, I'm trusting that everything is going to be good for me. And I'm, that's my mindset. Settle it in your mind. Look at this text, Proverbs 19.20. There are many, many devices in man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that stand, shall stand. In other words, you, you can do all kinds of plans. Good or bad, whatever. They may not come through, but the counsel of God, whatever God says, you can take it to the bank. That'll stand. That'll work. All right? Or how about this one, Psalm 37. This is one of my favorite ones. I have found a great deal of comfort with this. And I hope you do too. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that an amazing statement? He will give you the desires of your heart. He's not saying He will give you the desires of His heart. He says, He'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Yes. What are the desires of your heart? What are the desires of your heart? You know, deep down, what do you really want to see happen? Deep down, yes. Right, it's, it's the entire package, right? And so if we commit our ways to the Lord, our des the desires of our hearts may change, may start shifting, right? But even then, even then, let me, let me, let me give you an example. Have you heard of Alejandro Bullón? Alejandro Bullón is, is a very well-known evangelist, Adventist evangelist in South America. And for years now, he's been preaching to 30,000, 40,000 people in, uh, in soccer stadiums. Um, he is a powerful preacher. He's a very simple preacher, very humble preacher. He's now retired, so he's showing up in the United States more often and, um, because people invite him. He is very Christ-centered, a simple sermon, but he really understands God. He loves God with all his heart. When he was a young guy in theology, he, he was in Peru. He's a, he's a small Indian man from Peru. That's, that's who he is. Uh, and, and, and he would go by a big soccer stadium and sit on that soccer, you know, sit across from this huge structure and say, God, 
Let me preach there someday. Now, I want you to analyze this for a moment. At the age of 20 or 22 or 25, when he says that, that is laced with selfishness. When he says that, he is also saying, man, I love to have a humongous crowd that would come and listen. I, I mean, I, that's, the, that's exciting. In other words, it's, it's, there's some human thing in that, right? Uh, it, it would be exciting. It would, you know, it would be unparalleled, unprecedented. It would be wonderful. But also a godly thing in there, you know, because I would like to preach the gospel. I'd like to see many people come to Christ. Many times the desire of our, of our hearts are very intertwined with human things. God does not discount that. God does not say, well, I think I see a trace of human thing there. Oh, I, I can't touch that. No, are you kidding me? But that's what God did. He gave him the desires of his heart. But now Bouillon is not, I mean, there's no human tracing in that. There's no, no, no desire for self-glory. He's not wanting to be famous. He doesn't want crowds and crowds of people to come and say, wow, you're a great preacher. But the desires of his heart were fulfilled. That's what I'm saying. The, the real core things that you may still have, you know, if you say, well, God, the desire of my heart is to kill my neighbor. He probably will not give that to you. But you know what he would do? If you really sincerely are feeling that way, you really, I, I, you know, want to off somebody like that. What it, but you generally come to God, like David did and others, says, you know, I'm coming, I really want to kill somebody right now, but, uh, you know, I want to commit my ways to you, so... You know, and David did that. Remember David? David says, you know, I wish my enemy's children were dashed against a stone. Not nice. <laughs> He's the one writing this. The same guy. Well, what happens is that David kept coming back to God and God took care of those enemies. But it wasn't him. It wasn't David who took care of those enemies. And it wasn't because David was mad at those enemies. God works it out so that the desires of your heart are actually fulfilled. He cleans it up. He works them out. Work, commit yourself to that. So that's why I'm saying, no, Believe that God's will for you is always best. Always, always. So lean. This is a direction you need to walk on. Just lean yourself against that. And says, whatever your will is, it's going to be good for me. So I'm going to trust that. I want that. I need that. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You can count on these th promises. You can count on these things. And if it appears that it's not happening, you can open your Bible and pray and say, God, what about this? Hmm? And trust Him. Uh, you know the story in Matthew 6. Our time is moving along. I'm getting too excited about this. Uh, Matthew 6. You know the story. Read it, please. Uh, you know, God takes care of the birds of the air. God takes care of the lilies of the field who are thrown in the fire and burned, how much more will He take care of you, God says. You are so much more value to God. That's why He says, Seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. God loves you. He really genuinely loves you. He actually does love you. That's an amazing thing. But he does love you. He loves you like if you were the best thing in the universe. He loves you as if you were the most faithful person, the most honorable person, as if he were to be so proud of you. He loves you even though you may really embarrass him. But he really loves you. So count on it. But the path of the just is that has shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. God will give us more and more light. He will help us understand more and more and more. Proverbs 4.18. Number three. Check scripture in order to follow it. Ah, a lot of people check scripture in order to, to count on their own ideas. Check scripture in order to follow it. Okay. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know that. Psalm 119.105. Or Proverbs 13, 13, Whose despises the word shall be destroyed. Wow. But he that fears the commandment shall be rewarded. Pay attention to what God is saying. Uh, you can see that in Matthew 7. Remember the people at the end will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not uh, heal people in your name? And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. In other words, you don't really follow what I have said. You did what you wanted in my name, but it's still what you wanted, not what I said. So check scripture to follow it. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law happy is he. Number four, pray for guidance and strength. Pray for guidance and strength. These things are very natural, but uh, there is a twist at the end. I, want you, I wanted you to hold on. Jeremiah 17.9 reasserts the problem we have. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, that's why we can't trust ourselves. That's why we need to surrender to God. That's why Paul says, I die daily. I can't, I can't live with this. You know, I have to surrender that. I die daily. Uh, or Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. This is a beautiful text. Searching all the inward parts of the belly for his being, of his being. In other words, it, God is like a, like a flashlight looking in the dark crevices of your being. He says he will find, he will find who you really are. He will, he will help you see who you really are in the process. That is what happens when you pray. Really, when you pray over something for some sustained period of time, and those of you who are middle-aged probably figure this out by now, you really discover who you really are. In many ways, God really comes back to you and shows you a lot more things you bargained for. That is why staying in an attitude of prayer is very important. It gives you guidance and it gives you strength to, say, to, to follow through. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4, 12. Can you really separate um, soul and spirit? Can you really separate uh, bone and marrow? Uh, really. But God's word is able to really be so subtle and the things are so intricately intertwined. The word of God will help you through that. But that as you pray, that word of God, which has been stored in your heart, will start becoming more and more relevant to you. For the weapons of our warfare... 
are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, imagine, uh, human imagination. We have so many things that we think are reality, but they're simply imagined. The devil, you know, remember what Ellen White says? Ellen White says that the, de the demons throw stuff before you for you to see. Your mind impresses your minds, you know, it, it usually to, for you to make you feel a certain way. So cast it down. That's how you're going to bring it down. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. How? The weapons of our worker are not carnal. It is not a hand-to-hand -hand battle. It is, it is a knee-to-knee -knee battle, if you will, okay? It's on your knees. You know the story in Luke 11, when Jesus told this story. I'm not sure why I have this picture of his arrest. But anyway, Luke 11 <laughs> told the story uh, <laughs> of uh, when he was praying and he told, you know, how much more your heavenly Father loves you and knows you and, you know, will give you good things. If you, if you being evil, give good things to your children, how much more heavenly Father will give you your Holy Spirit so that you, um, you may may be filled with him. Number five, consider how God has led you in the past. If you really get to number five, it's because this is a real struggle or something you've been missing in the previous ones. You should never really get to number five. But, let's, let's, let, if you get to it, all right? Consider how God has led you in the past. A man's heart divides his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God is the one leading your life in spite of the fact that many times you have been disobedient or in spite of the fact that many times you didn't care what, you, what he did. He, he is using all of that mess as if he invented it to begin with. That is the power of God. Huh? All right? Here's Joseph. Here's a good example. This is a guy that was called to be a leader to begin with. And at the age of 17, he knew it. You know, God's really, called, you know, the dreams were about that, right? Well, he, he was young, so he didn't know how to be circumspect or he didn't know how to, what the, the, the um, political thing to do was, and so he blabbered about it. So his other brothers did not like that. And he, even his father thought, well, this is a little cookie. So what happens? God says, this guy needs a little help. Now... I want you to think about this. It is the devil that wants to, wants to destroy Joseph because the devil already knows that Joseph is, is picked by God to do something important. Right? So the devil is the one that is causing the anger in his brothers, that is making his brothers sell him to, uh, to Egypt. But God is working through all of that. And what does Joseph say? That's why Genesis is good to read. Joseph decides to trust God in spite of that, to commit his heart to God in spite of that, and saying, you know what? I'm, I'm in God's will. And, the, and, and so what happens? After that, does thing, do things get better? Yeah, for a time. He becomes important in Potiphar's house. So he's good. He's, he's all right. He's all right. He's one of the, the privileged slaves until Potiphar's wife really messes up. And so he's saying, God, I've been faithful to you. What would you expect? You would expect, I would have expected God to come in and convince Potiphar that I'm telling the truth and not his wife. In fact, Potiphar probably knew that Joseph was telling the truth because otherwise Joseph would have been killed, not imprisoned. 
But he had to save face in front of his wife and his wife's family and everybody else because he had no other evidence except for Joseph's word. So he put him in prison. Now, Joseph could have thought, bummer. I'm being faithful to God here. I mean, the woman is throwing herself out at me. I could have done that and I would be scot-free, but now I'm being faithful to God and I'm thrown in jail. This is going the wrong way. But God is directing his paths, right? So he stays there a couple of years and he becomes, he's an industrial young man. That's why habits are important, very important. He knows how to work. He, he, he looks for things to do. He doesn't wait until he's told. And so he's put in charge of the entire jail. Where have you heard that a prisoner is in charge of a jail? Where have you heard that? That is a remarkable man, right? And so these two guys come in, the baker and the wine server, whatever, and he tells them the stories. And now Joseph says, okay, this is my chance to get out. Oops. The guy forgets to tell the king. So he stays in jail another two years. Now, he has a choice. The choice is either to be miserable and sulk and, and say, God has forsaken me. I've been faithful. And look at this. This is going on for 13 years. Or say, thank you, God. I'm going to thank you. It doesn't feel good, but I'm going to thank you. Because I'll just trust that you're guiding my life. And Joseph had a lot less to go on than you and I. We have 66 books to go on. He had none. Except for the teachings of his father. And God, 13 years later, puts him on top. And finally gives him the desires of his heart. And finally rewards him for all of this. And finally restores every misery that he had experienced. And later when his brothers come, then he recognizes this. You know, uh, you, thought you, were going to, you thought you were doing evil by selling me. But God took this in his hands and did it for good. So consider how God has led you in the past. How has God led you in the past? He has a certain way of dealing with you because of your personality, because of your weaknesses and strengths. Try to, try to when you pray, try to help. You know, say, God, show me. What have you done with me in the past? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lead not unto your own understanding. We read this. We studied this yesterday. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Number six, seek counsel from unbiased godly friends. Unbiased godly friends. Very important qualifiers. Don't seek counsel from friends, period. Unbiased and godly. Hmm? Friends or family. In other words, people that love God and love you. But that are unbiased. That could, that could give you, you, you know, they, they don't have a stake in it as much. Huh? The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkens unto counsel is wise. In the multitude of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 11 verse 14. All right? Uh, John 15 tells us a neat story. It tells us that there is somebody else who, who is our friend. Who is our friend according to John 15? Jesus. Jesus says, uh, I have called you servants up until now. From now on I'm calling you friends. 
right? And so this is our best friend. You can, he is unbiased in the sense that he's not going to force this or that. Number seven, the last one, move forward in faith. James 1, 5 to 8. We have run out of time. I want, you to, I want you to read this. Basically what this is, you know, we read the first verse 5. Seek, if any of you lacks wisdom, seek, um, seek God who will give to you, to, to all generously and without reproach. And then he goes on to say that we need to not be double-minded. In other words, we need to really count on what, that God is going to give us wisdom. And, and, and the, the assumption here is, is simple. When you do all of this, when you do all these steps, there is a point in which you need to make a decision. If you stay put and make no decision, you will make a mistake. It is better, catch this, this is going to be shocking to some, it is better to make a decision and make a mistake than make no decision. If you make a decision sincerely, genuinely, because you followed at least the first few steps, God will take care of you when you make the mistake. If, if you thought that all of this pointed you in this direction, and that is the wrong direction, as you go there, God is going to bring a detour. Because you have done your part. You have, you have sought His will. You have tried to, to do that. If we live in the Spirit, Galatians 5, let us also walk in the Spirit. Commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts shall be established. Um, commit your works to Him. And then you, you, you'll have peace. You, you know, you'll, you'll, it'll be settled in your mind. Philippians 3, Paul talks about, you know, I don't do anything else. I have chosen not to look back. I look forward. I have not yet reached it, but I move forward with what God has shown me thus far. So, seven steps to know God's will. Let me re review them very quickly and tell you one more piece about this. First, surrender your entire will to God. If you do this one thing, you can go to number seven, and forget the other, the other five. If you really thoroughly do this, you don't need the other ones. Well, theoretically, uh, you know, you, you, it, because that's already, that already puts you in the state where, where you will be doing God's will. That is the most important thing. Surrender your will to Him. Alright, so let's go back. Surrender your entire will. Believe His will for you is always best. Check scripture in order to follow it, not in order to find it, not in order to be knowledgeable and say, oh, that's interesting. But in order to really do what the scripture says. Pray for guidance and strength. In most cases, you won't need to go past four. And notice that the praying is not anymore to know God's will. The praying is mostly to have the strength to do it. Hmm? It's to move forward. It's, in other words, it's, it's already settled. By then you should really, if you have done these three, by then you're going to be well on your way to figuring out what God's will is. Alright? And if you do these four, if you do these four, you can jump to number seven again. Huh? And forget the other two. But if it's still not clear, then go ahead and consider how God has led you in the past. And then seek counsel from unbiased, godly friends and finally move forward. But don't go beyond that. You've got to move forward. At one point, you've got to move forward.
So don't dilly-dally anymore. Let me just, one quote I have from Ellen White. This is uh, such a beautiful quote. I couldn't, I couldn't keep it short. So I have, I have several statements here. 668, Desire of Ages, 668. The Lord is disappointed. Now read this carefully. I want you to absorb this. The Lord is disappointed with his, when His people play, place a low estimate upon themselves. Wow, he, he really values you. Huh? He desires His chosen heritage to value themselves according to the price He has placed upon them. God wanted them. What God wanted them, else He would not have sent His Son on such an expensive errand to redeem them. He gave His Son for you and me. He really thinks that you're something else. They may expect a lar large things. They may expect large things if they have faith in His promises. Not small things. God is not too small. Large things. When we know God as it is our privilege to, to know Him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God. Sin will become hateful to us. Isn't that a wonderful promise? I'll be honest with you, there are certain things that have yet not become hateful to me. But I'm, I'm counting. I'm counting on the fact that they will. Sin will become hateful to us. As Christ lived the law in humanity, so we may do if we will take hold of the strong for strength. The Lord will teach us our duty just as willingly as He will teach somebody else. If we, be, if we come to Him in faith, that's the key. If we come to Him in faith, He will speak His mysteries to us personally. Wow! He's not going to say, He's not going to give you a reference point that says, read it out that way. He's going to say, I have a message for you, Ron Cluzet, just for you. He will speak to you and to me personally. Our hearts will often burn within us as one draws nigh to commune with us as He did with Enoch. Those who decide to do nothing in any line that will displease God. That's, that's uh, step number one, right? Surrender your will. Surrender your will to Him. Those who decide to do nothing in any line that will displease God will know after presenting their case before Him just what course to pursue. And they will receive not only wisdom but strength, power for obedience, for service will be imparted to them as Christ has promised. Wow. So, let's go back to the overarching principle. Gen I mean, John 17, 7. If anyone is willing to do my will, they will know. They will know if anyone is willing to do my will. God says, they will know you can take it to the bank. Better, you can take it to heaven and say, God, this is what you said. I'm going to count on it. They will know. You just surrender that will. Surrender that will. Let's pray together. Father, many of us, most of us, all of us, struggle at one point in our lives or, 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 or on a daily basis what, what your will might be for our lives. What, what should we do? What decisions should we make? What, what do you want us to do? What is best? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your counsel from Scripture today. That you can give us counsel generously. You, you, you are willing to give us wisdom without reproach, generously. That you, you, you will do that, that you really know what is best for us. Help us surrender our will. Help us to, 
to believe that your will actually will really be of great benefit for us, even though sometimes we may fear what your will might be. Help us trust you. Help us really be Christians. Christians. People who follow Jesus, who believe what Jesus says, who believe in his word, who will take his word as more concrete, more real than the fact that we're in this room in the Marriott Hotel, Hotel today. Thank you. Thank you that with you all things are possible. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.